Hello, everybody, and welcome to the season two of Big Ten Hoops Weekly. Uh, I'm Brett, and I'm here, as always, with my friend and co-host, Steve. Steve, how are you today? I'm ready to talk some college hoops. I don't know about you. Hell yeah, I am. Uh, it is, uh, you know, we're, we're still a little bit away from the start of the season, um, but there is no time like the present to start getting ready for Big Ten basketball season. Um so as we did last year, just to kind of give some background uh, on what these preview shows are going to be like, we're going to do, te- we're going to cover each team in reverse order of how we think the Big Ten standings will pan out. Um, so this first episode is going to cover teams 14 through 8 in our projected standings, and part two will cover teams 7 through our projected Big Ten champion. We also, in, instead of what we did last year uh, in tacking on awards to the second episode, we were breaking out uh, the, our awards predictions into our own into its own episode, so we can give uh, that those awards the the respect and consideration that they all deserve. Um, unfortunately, unlike the NBA, there will be no teammate of the year award, so you know we're we're keeping it a little condensed this time. Um, Steve, do you have anything you want to say before we dive into the previews? I I'm incredibly excited for this award show. Um, I think just with with the amount of guys leaving to either transfer out to other schools, going to the NBA or, um, and, and you guys coming in the conference that you really look up and down these rosters and um, some of them don't look anything like what they looked last year for, for better or for worse. So just us going through this exercise was, was a lot of fun. And I, I think, you know, I hope you'll find our awards um, and picks entertaining and debatable. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, kind of a key tenet of this year's Big Ten season. Um, in addition to a stylistic shift kind of away from a lot of these dominant big men who have, who have you know, gone on and, and graduated um, for the most part, you know, there's, there's still some around, but I think we're going to, we're going to see a lot of sea change in the Big Ten uh, from a personnel standpoint, as Steve indicated, and it's going to be very interesting to see how, how these teams and, and coaching staffs adapt. But, uh, you know, I think as we start with the number 14 ranked team in our very scientific preseason poll, um, and these first few teams are going to look pretty similar to uh, to our predictions from last year. And uh, we might as well jump into it. And uh, a unanimous last place prediction. Uh, so coming in at 14th unanimously is the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Uh, Fred Hoiberg still in Lincoln, uh, despite a 10 and 22 year last year. Uh, they did finish tied for 13th, and they exited the conference tournament in the first round. They lost uh, their most talented player, Bryce McGowan's, and bring in I, – I think there's two guys in the starting projected starting lineup uh, played on this team last year. Uh, the others are, are transfer imports or uh, potentially – you know, you'll, you'll, yeah, actually all transfer imports because uh, Blaze Cada is a, is a Juco guy. Is, is Hoiberg going to survive this season, I think, is is where we should start? Like, or is it just going to be another year of, of chaos and bad basketball? Yeah, I mean, you never, you know that you're kind of in a rough place when that's the question going <laughs> into the season. Um, and I, I guess, in fairness, you know, oftentimes with good programs, you know, coaches get on the hot seat when they kind of have average years and are going in the wrong direction. But uh, there's there's really been no peak for this Nebraska team. Now, it, here, here's the thing. They actually ended the season, I thought, looking halfway decent. You remember they 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 won on the road in Columbus, I believe in the second last week of the season, and then they won that really strange game in uh, against Wisconsin. 
uh, as well. So they beat two ranked teams in I think their last four games. And, you know, McGowan's looked good. Verge was kind of all over the place all year, but, you know, he, he was effective at times for them. Um, I don't think McGowan's was ever really going to stay, but it looked like, okay, you know, they're going in the right direction from rock bottom. However, I mean, I just, you, you look at this roster and uh, I, I don't, I don't really know who any of these guys are or, um, you know, what sort of, like, there's no continuity. Hoiberg pioneered sort of like his controlled chaos at Iowa state where he would bring in all these transfers and they'd have really wide open offenses. And it just hasn't worked out for him in the big 10. I don't really have much to say like other than that. I just think you know, they may not be the last place team in the conference, but they're going to be somewhere near the bottom. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned like guys like CJ Wiltshire and, and, and Derek Walker are like big 10 players. It's not like they should be playing in, in a lower tier conference. They're, they're definitely all right, but Hoiberg's teams are not known for playing good defense. They're not going to play slow enough to keep themselves in games when when shots aren't falling. And you know, even though they've got some some all right freshmen, I think uh, I think yeah, it's going to be another another long year for for the Cornhuskers. So with that, I think that concludes the Cornhuskers section. <laughs> and, and with that, we'll move on to the the thirteenth place team in our in our preseason poll. This is going to be the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Um, so year two of the Ben Johnson era commences um, and really just to kind of recap what what happened with these guys last year they they, they were really they had like six playable guys on their roster by the end of the year you know it was a team that showed some fight at the beginning of the year it, they they surprised everyone I think they started off like 11 and one in non-conference on an easy schedule albeit but with but with a win at Mississippi State so like you know they were you, you could tell that they at least were trying and, and well coached. But, you know, yeah. So Jamison Battle, and it comes back. He's, he's you know, going to be the, the guy in terms of, you know, if, if this team, if this team's going to put together wins, it's, it's really going to be because of him. I think Dawson Garcia's interesting transfer coming in from, from North Carolina. And I expect a similar, you know, high tempo, um, especially try to insert energy into, in, into the barn whenever they they can and you know but I just I don't know that there's enough here from a depth perspective to play that style and I think they're going to run into similar problems that they ran into last year be that with injuries or whenever a legitimate opponent comes in there they're just not going to have enough horsepower yeah and I think that kind of bore out um like you said yeah they started 10 and 1 uh and then lost this they were at 11 and 6 and finished 13 and 17 and like you said, there are the Jameson Battle definitely, definitely a, a, a high level talent. Dawson Garcia has kind of had an up and down college career. He's already on his third college. Maybe playing closer to home gets him better, and he's got that five star pedigree still. But I mean, Ben Johnson really inherited a bunch of garbage at that program, and it's it's they're still to to use one of our favorite phrases, probably two years away from even moving up the, you know, out of Wednesday contention in the Big Ten tournament. Inexperience really abounds with this team, and I just don't know that they're going to have nine playable guys to get through the meat of a conference schedule. And, you know, Jameson, you know, Battle, Battle's going to give you give you an, a scoring option out there, but he can only take you so far in the Big Ten. Uh, all right, so moving on, uh, we've got the Penn State Nittany Lions up next, coming in at number 12. Um, and, you know, I it's 
it's not, it's interesting that we put them right next to Minnesota um, because I think I see a lot of similarities in in last year's Michael Shrewsbury's coach team and and last year's Ben Johnson coach team in that these two coaches both coach their teams very very well um, and they're neither of these teams going to give up um, but like Minnesota Penn State just doesn't really have a lot of talent they lose John Harrer who is kind of a stalwart in the middle for them. Um, and you know they've got they've got Jalen Pickett and Seth Lundy back, but again, I mean, how many guys on this team are actually Big Ten level players? Well, I I think here's where I'm going to disagree with you a little bit, just in terms of the comparison to Minnesota. I think stylistically they're two very different teams. I mean, I think Penn State formed their identity last year around tough defense and. You know, it wasn't pretty offense, but they they slowed tempo down and they had guys that could score, you know, one on one. And I think, you know, Pickett and Lundy still still give you some of that. You remember this this Penn State team, they upset Ohio State in the second round of the Big Ten tournament. You know, there's I, I think there's some momentum there. Um, I, I, I hear you on the roster, which is why I think we, you know, have them so low just because the Big Ten's such a deep conference. But I think the reason why Penn State has more potential, I think, to steal wins in conference is because they slow the game down. You know, you know they're going to play tough defense. Um, and, and they've got guys that can score when the game gets close and pick it in Lundy. Um, again, I'm not – I don't actually like, – I mean, will they do better than the 7-13 and 13 that they did last year? I, I, I don't know. You know, there's just so many – even though there are teams that have taken a step back at the top of the conference, I just, I don't know that they're better than any of those teams, but I I think there's more here than Minnesota just because their style is going to cater better to how to win in the conference. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, getting, getting a lot of those big 10 veterans, like you said, like Pickett and Lundy um, will definitely help. And they also have maybe a couple more, um, freshmen that are maybe ready to make a, make an impact in uh, Keba Inji and Jamil Brown. Um, and, you know, if you can get something out of, out of those guys right away, in addition to the Duquesne t- transfer, Cameron Winter, who probably should be taking over a point guard, um, that'll set you up, you know, that'll set you up to be, to be at least competitive uh, in, in the big Ten, which is what we saw. Um, I think, you know, I think Shrewsbury is a good coach um, and it's just, you know, see what the actual talent on the court looks like. For sure. So moving on to the next team in our queue here. So ranked ahead of Penn State, we have the Northwestern Wildcats, um, who actually finished tied with Penn State last year at, at seven and thirteen in the in the conference. Chris Collins is still the coach. Um, <laughs> they, you know, they they had a, a couple of games last year where, you know, they, they looked like they could hang. You remember the, the game that they, they stole from the Spartans in East Lansing. Um, and they, they, they played a number of, of good teams, you know, sort of tight. thing that's most interesting to me about this roster, and I think this is just like a quintessential conundrum, is they return most of their guys, but their team was not very good last year. You know, Boo Boo is back. Julian Roper is back. Chase Audiz is back. Robbie Barron's back. That that should give you something in theory. And I think that's why we probably have them a little bit higher than honestly, like most Northwesterns would probably think. But yeah, Brett, what are what are your thoughts on on this team going into the year? 
Okay, so I know we said we weren't going to do this, but I'm taking a look at their schedule right now, and there's a really good chance that they could start like 11 and one again. And because I mean, I mean, and when you when you have a team like this that kind of has been underachieving for a little bit, you early season wins are always a good thing, right? Like you don't have to go in and schedule everybody. They're playing, you know, a, not a bunch of not great teams, and they've got their first game at Michigan State in Big Ten conference or like in conference games. But then besides that, like, so I think we're going to see a lot of people like hyping up, like, oh man, Northwestern's 11 and one, they're, they're, they're ranked. And I just, then that might happen. But I, and it's so frustrating because you look at this team on paper and sure they lost Pete Nance, they lost Ryan Young. And the fact that Ryan Young had so many people after him really kind of speaks to the dearth of quality big men in the transfer portal this year, but that's, that's a whole other conversation. But, you know, losing Pete Nance obviously really sucks for this team because they could, they could have used his, his presence in the post. Um, but I mean, you look at the three guards in Boo Booey, Julian Roper and Chase Audis that you've got out there and like, those guys could start for a lot of big 10 teams. You know, those are three really good players, but I, I mean, you're looking at the rest of this ro- and roster and especially when it comes down to they're starting Robbie Barron, most likely. And I, you know, where does the depth come from? Where does the bench scoring come from? If the guards aren't playing well, who's scoring? And you also have to consider Chris Collins isn't a very good coach. I think I think that can be pretty well established at this point. And I just there are so many opportunities for this to just kind of go wrong. And they don't have any really good. Uh, their recruiting class wasn't very good. And I just I think that like once they have to start breaking out the depth, things are going to start falling apart against teams teams with more talent. Just last question on this, but do do you think there's paint me the narrative that has them finish in like the top eight of the conference this year. Like, how does that happen? How does that happen? The top eight? I mean, you basically see more consistency from, from Bowie and Adige. I think like, obviously those guys have a lot of talent, but there's just, I feel like there are so many games where both either or both of them can disappear. And you, then you also need, I think Julian Roper had a really encouraging freshman year. And I think this is the year you need him to kind of become all third team kind of that, that kind of level of, of, consistency i mean they only play illinois once or no they do play they play illinois twice but like I, you need some kind of luck with the scheduling to kind of draw out and from first glance it really doesn't look like that's going to happen so you need all three of your guards to just take a leap and be consistent and collins not to screw you out of any games fair enough all right and on to the next team now on to the next one all right uh next we have the very new look maryland terrapins um, and so obviously that was a big in-season deal uh, when they or they and Mark Turgeon mutually parted ways. They uh, ended up hiring Kevin Willard out of Seton Hall, and I think that's that's a move that was generally looked at, looked upon as 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 a good hire. Like I think Kevin Willard did a lot, uh, kind of dragging Seton Hall out of the the basement of of the the Big East and. Uh, really, really making them nationally relevant again. So I think, you know, good guy that knows the recruiting territory should pay off well. Um, did not pay off great in the recruiting, like freshman. They've got one freshman coming in, um, but got some interesting transfers, namely uh, Don Carey and Jameer Young out of Georgetown and Charlotte, respectively. And in those guys, you just you get guys that are going to score the ball. Uh, and I think Jameer Young specifically is going to need to really pick up where uh, Fats Russell left off last year, although it didn't end quite the way, you know, a lot of people wanted. Fats Russell was still able to kind of be a game changer for for the Terps. Um, and then you obviously still have, um, you know, you've got Hakeem Hart, you've got Dante Scott, you've got Julian Reese. It's like guys that can play in the Big Ten, 
Um, are they game changers outside of Scott? Probably not. Um, but they have a couple other a couple other uh, transfers in there, and that should at least give them some depth. But it's still a transition year for Maryland, and I do think that Willard's going to be able to kind of retool this team and and really kind of get them competitive quickly. So yeah, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I actually think there's some upside here. You know, Dante Scott. I mean, I mean, tell me if this is a ridiculous statement, but I I think he's a sleeper for all Big Ten. You know, I mean, maybe not first team, but like, I mean, you, you know, he can score, he can rebound, you know, he can guard multiple positions, not the fastest guy in the world, but, you know, he he, he can play one on one. So I think, you know, it'd be good to have him there. I, I actually like I really like Julian Reese. He's um, an athletic, you, you know, the, the yeah. play him at the five. He's super athletic, um, which is, I guess, a well, how, how do I say this? A, a change of pace for most of the other bigs, you know, most of the other fives that are in the Big Ten now. So I think he could give some team problems. And I mean, yeah, I think if Young and Carey, and, and by the way, you know, with Young, we're going to be talking a lot about transfer point guards throughout the conference, as was the case last year. I mean, if they can score, I think you've got something here. So, yeah, I think not all. Don't think, if you're a Maryland fan, don't think that Kevin Willard's going to come in here and fix everything. Uh, immediately. And just a reminder, does Kevin Willard, has he been to more sweet 16s than Kevin Durant or what? <laughs> uh, I, I believe the answer is, is, is more question mark. I think that's right. Okay. No, um, I, I, I thought I, that, I thought I saw that was not, before. that was not on my research notes, but uh, no, but I, I, to your point, I think like, I think this Maryland team is at least for this season, really going to try and run. And I, I I like that look for them, um, especially if they get the version of Jameer Young that that scored 18 points a game for for you know a, a Charlotte team. Obviously, you know they're whatever, but and it's a step up in competition. But I think that if they can establish if they can establish the run, so to speak, um, they will definitely be able to sneak up on some teams that that are overlooking them for maybe not having as much talent as in years past. And just just to to tidy that up, Kevin Willard is, has a one in five career record in the NCAA tournament, so the answer is the same. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Okay, so now we sort of move into a, a, a different tranche of of teams here, so to speak. Teams that, um, you, you know, not necessarily all these teams are going to make the tournament, but um, all these teams are are going to be pretty competitive. It's it's just a matter of where they fall. Uh, but the next team on our list, which I believe we have slotted in at nine, is the Ohio State Buckeyes. Um, and, I mean, you know, frankly, last last year was a strange year for the Buckeyes. I think they had high expectations coming in. You know, they had one of the best players in the conference as, as their leader in EJ Liddell. They lose him. You know, they, they struggled with injuries last year. You know, Seth Towns really never was able to contribute. They lost just to suing. Um, and you know, they, they, you just never felt like they hit their ceiling last year. Do you think that's a fair statement? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good way to put it. And it's also crazy because, you know, we haven't even mentioned Malachi Branham yet. And he was, he came out of nowhere to end up as the 20th pick in the draft. Um, so you ended up with kind of this out of nowhere freshman, uh, becoming a reliable scorer to go along with EJ Liddell, but yeah, I mean, first round exit in the conference tournament, losing in the second round, albeit to a Villanova team that ended up in the final four. 
after a disgusting win over Loyola Chicago that was maybe one of the worst games I've ever seen. But yeah, and it's you know you you lose guys like Jamari Wheeler and uh, and uh, Justin Arns and and it's just kind of that core that's been around for so long. But at the same time, you look at the guys that Chris Holtman's bringing in this season. And it's it's hard not to at least get excited about what the next few years of Ohio State basketball are going to look like if you're a Buckeye fan. Yeah, and I mean, so that that's the that that's really where I think the variance, so to speak, of outcomes for this Ohio State team is probably the widest of any other conference. Like it it is it is very likely that they could end up with three transfers you know, in their starting lineup. But these these aren't the types of transfers that like Minnesota and Penn State are getting. You know, like Kiki was a was a legitimate contributor at Oklahoma State. You know, they got McNeil from from West Virginia. Um and and by my count, that's four four stars that they have coming in this year. Yeah. 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 So you no no we don't know what the roster is going to look like on day one, but you know, even if they hit on a few of these guys uh, well, and I think, you know, maybe this is really even the question at the end of the day, even if they hit on a few of these guys, like they're not going to have the star power with Liddell and, and, and Branham that they had last year. You know, it, it, I think this could be a, a growing pains year unless these guys are, you know, legit ball busters. Yeah. And that's I think, you know, with those guys in mind, you're looking at two top 50 recruits and Roddy Gale Jr. and Bruce Thornton. And I think the expectation would be that at least one of those guys is ready to at least contribute on opening night. But the nice thing is with, with the additions of likely and McNeil and Holden, they don't have to be ready right away. Cause just assuming will be back, assuming he's all good health wise. And, and Zed key gives you bulk down low, even if he isn't the most skilled guy in the world, he's still a load for teams to handle um, if a bit undersized. Um, but yeah, I think like, I don't know. I this was a weird one for me. I feel like we probably should have them higher, but also it's hard to in, but it, it's also hard to bring all these new pieces together and have them be good right away. And you lose so you lose your go-to guys. You lose both of them and it's it's might take a while to figure out, all right, who who gets the ball at the end of the clock? Who's who's the creator on that team? I I don't think likely or McNeil have ever really had to be that, although McNeil really brings the ability to stretch the floor. And you know, Chris Holt, Chris Holtman is, is is a very good coach, so I have no doubt that he'll figure it out eventually. But I, I think it could be a little rocky to start for sure. All right, so we are we are moving through these. Um, so I think that with well with with the last last part of our our part one, uh, so team number eight. You know, well, okay, so it's the it's the Iowa Hawkeyes, and I think that them more than anybody has potentially the greatest variance in in what their season could look like. Um, you lose obviously a top top five draft pick in Keegan Murray, who you know had a solid first year and then really exploded under the scene last year as a as a player of the year candidate. You lose Jordan Bohannon, you lose Joe Toussaint, so it's it's guard depth that's that's kind of out the window. Um, Connor McCaffrey is taking kind of a backseat role, not that he's any good anyways. Um, and Patrick McCaffrey's still there, and but you know you don't have a lot of big depth. I think Philip Robracha is not really a big 10 caliber player and he's really their only big guy. Um, so you're looking at a lot of need for guard and wing production. Um, so, you know, I, I think that you're looking at Chris Murray to, to basically make a lottery pick type jump. If, if you want Iowa to even come close to 
making the tournament this year. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the theme of our analysis around Iowa's upside, um, especially at the beginning of the season, because, I mean, you, you look up and down this roster. So when I look at their starting five right now, I think it's it's not a starting five that, you know, screams they're going to make the tournament. But I think you have to keep in mind, relative to the other rosters, you know, it, it, they do have some degree of experience in the Big Ten. You know, Tony Perkins is a is a scrappy you know guard, and I, I think he'll take a step up this year. You know, both McCaffreys can do a lot of different things, not necessarily that are, you know, scoring, but like, you know, they, they played in big games. They know how to make shots. You know, we all remember like Iowa literally won the big 10 tournament last year. Like the, you know, the, you, you don't just, you can't do that with just Keegan Murray. And I know they lost some other guys too, but I would expect some degree of these role players taking a step up as they, um, you know, as they, as they just, you know, get, get comfortable with this new roster. I, I don't, I don't know though that I agree. Like I just, even if Chris Murray is Keegan Murray again, I don't like, I don't think they're a top five team in the conference. I think they're still sort of middle of pack to low end. I think the variance on the low end is like, yeah, they could, I mean, they could be worse than Northwestern or Minnesota if things go wrong. But I mean, you could say that about a lot of teams. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You're, you, Cause you look at the, the recruiting class they brought in most likely neither, neither of those guys are contributing this year. And you add that to the fact that I couldn't even tell you the last time that Fran had a team that played good defense. And I think that losing so much offensive production is potentially a harbinger of doom. Although we said the same thing when Luca Garza left and, and Keegan Murray went out of this world. So, you know, I, Fran, I think will put his guys in the position to be successful on the offensive side, especially if, like you said, those role players really start taking the step. And yeah, I like Tony Perkins too. Um, and I think I think they'll be, you know, assuming the, the bottom doesn't fully drop out. I think maybe we do have them pegged right around the right place. Um, but yeah, I think there's I mean, the schedule doesn't really do them many favors. But and so I, th- I think it'll be interesting to see how they respond to a lot of challenges right away. And I think that'll that'll do it for for part one of our season preview. Um We've got we'll have next week we'll have uh, the end of our our predictions so you know I think uh, get your picks in if if you if you uh, think you know better than us uh, feel free to send us an email uh, big one zero hoops weekly at gmail.com find us on Twitter and we will see you guys next week.